Well, this morning we are continuing our anti-Advent theme. Whoa, that was like, people are quiet. Anti-Advent, we're talking about anxiety. I heard a, a story about a plane that was going down in the mountains. And uh, on this plane, there, were, there weren't enough parachutes for everyone. There were four people and there were only three parachutes. And uh, there was uh, the smartest man in the world on this plane. There was the, uh, the best doctor in the world. And then there was an old priest and a young boy. And, um, and so the doctor looks at everyone and says, well, I need a parachute because the world needs my medical skills. And so he grabs a parachute and jumps out the door. And the smartest man in the world looks at the other two and says, well, the world needs me. I'm the smartest man in the world. I, like, I have a lot to give. He grabs a parachute, puts it on, and jumps out the door. And so the old priest, he has this moment of anxiety, of worry, and he like, he just, he just panics a little bit inside as he, and then he comes to calm and he says, you take the parachute. I've lived a, a good long life and uh, why don't you take it and, and I'll go down with the plane. And the, and the boy said to the priest, don't worry, there are enough parachutes for both of us. The smartest man in the world took my backpack. Maybe he's not the smartest man in the world. Why do we worry? Why do we, why do we have this, these anxieties that we feel? It, it really feels like a human thing. When you go talk to people, it's, it's not like it's just a couple people. It seems like it's a human thing. Whether the plane is going down and there aren't enough parachutes or whether you don't have the right ingredients for dinner. You feel worry or anxiety, maybe some of you. And we seem to battle this. It feels like almost like a perpetual state of, of anxiety, of worry. And it might be visible or invisible to other people, but, but it's a thing that we wrestle and we, we deal with. As we talk about um, Advent or anti-Advent, whichever word you want to put on it, and we think about Christmas coming, the truth is that Christmas, the season of Christmas doesn't do much to help our anxiety, does it? In fact, if anything, it heightens it. I mean, we've got a thousand Christmas events to go to, different social contexts. You've got, you know, your office party, and then there's like a church party, and like, well, okay, wow, these are so different. Or there's expectations of you or of others. There's Christmas gifts you got to figure out. There's family drama often. There's meaningful moments. There's people cooking turkeys. <laughs> That's a whole lot of stress, usually. And then there's, on top of it all, there's this idea that we're going to have a refreshing holiday over Christmas. And may, that may or may not be true coming out the other side. But usually through all these things, we end up coming out a bundle of nerves. We just, there's so much going on for us. And yet, anxiety is anti-Advent. It works against our anticipation of Jesus and his coming and what he wants to do. The, the, this Christmas, it's just possible that Jesus wants to speak into... I said our anxiety, but it's, it really is your anxiety and my anxiety. Jesus wants to speak into it and to give you peace and me peace. John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So this morning, we'll see that peace is the antidote to anxiety, and Jesus is our peace. And if you were here last week, you'll start to get an idea of our big ideas through the Christmas season. Peace is the antidote to anxiety, and Jesus is our peace. Anxiety is anti-Advent, and it's also a thing that we, we have a lot of, there's a lot of factors to it. And so this morning I thought that um, instead of shaming people about their anxiety, that I would reward some people. I, I, I would like to, to give you a prize for some of the things that I think cause anxiety in our world. So the first prize I'm going to give is for the person here with the oldest cell phone. All right, who's got, who thinks they have the oldest cell phone? You have a five? Does anyone have older than a five? Anyone? Do you have an old phone? You don't even know what it is? She might need the prize. All right, what do you have? You have a, oh, you win. Okay, iPhone 4S. You can pick a chocolate bar. There you go. Okay, and our second prize, our second prize is going to go to, what is it for, Josiah? Most, the most unopened email. Who has the most unopened email in their inbox? Sean's upstairs. He's not here. He can't win. What? How many? Yo, you get open, okay. How many do you have? 1,100. You have 2,000? Oh my goodness, okay, she has 2,000 unopened. More than that? You have 4,300. Paul, Paul, you win, okay. 4,300, you want to pick a chocolate bar? There you go, okay, 4,300. That's, that's anxiety producing. Every time you open your email, what's our next prize? It's going to go to the, the most overwhelmed award. Who has the biggest assignment due coming up? Our school people, anyone? Who has the biggest or longest assignment due? What is it? He has two papers due in one week. Okay, anyone else? You have a final exam next week? Eight matching jammies. That's a pretty big one. You're going to make eight, eight jammies? Okay, do you take a chocolate bar? She's going to make eight matching jammies. That's stressful. And what's our last prize for the Insanity Award? Who has the most children? It, it's not a given that this would go to the Dugans, but it kind of is. There you go, yeah. Do you, want, do you both want a chocolate bar? Would you? Yeah. Maybe you need eight or nine chocolate bars or something. How many kids do you have anyway? There are lots of things that cause stress and anxiety. And these are maybe some funny ones, but the, the truth is there's lots of things that, that do it. And, and our culture has a lot of anxiety and stress around it. And, and last week we looked at some memes, and so this week I think it's good, again, to see what our culture is saying about or joking about when we talk about anxiety, because that's how we express this reality that we're dealing with. So here's a few... Um, a few memes that are about anxiety. Anxiety is like a toddler. It never stops talking, tells you you're wrong about everything, and wakes you up at 3 a.m. Or anxiety drug overdoses are increasing in the U.S.? <gasps> That's extremely worrying. What's the, and show the next one. Here we've got up in the corner, my anxieties have anxieties, says Charlie Brown. 
in the middle, I don't have a nervous system, I am a nervous system. Or at the bottom, the lion shall lie down with the calf, but the calf won't get much sleep. It's kind of how it feels. And up at the top, it's almost time to switch from my everyday anxiety to my fancy Christmas anxiety. Or a new word for you, Sunday. The moment when Sunday stops feeling like a Sunday and the anxiety of Monday kicks in. It's like maybe all day Sunday is a Monday. I don't know. But our culture, we, we struggle with anxiety. We joke about it, but it's a reality for us. I mean, we have a whole generation of parents nicknamed helicopter parents because they are so anxious as they parent that something's going to happen to their kid. And so they're following them around, hovering over them. That's the, the helicopter picture. We have at least one in four Canadians that will have an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. This is the statistic. It's horrible. That's a bad statistic. Yeah, it is. And you know what? It's not just out there like a cultural thing. We personally have anxieties. We worry about our kids, about our jobs, about our prospects, about our potential, about our finances, about our health, about our environment, about our future, our past, exercise and rest, about relationships. I mean, the list is endless of things that we have anxiety or worry about. And Christians struggle right alongside everyone else. It's not like, oh, that's just out there. It's not in here at all. I mean, we struggle with being a Christian, our church, sharing enough, doing enough, giving enough, gathering enough, all that we should do or shouldn't do. And the list goes on. And too often, we live like the fruit of the Spirit is, I made a new list, a real life translation list. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives often looks like indifference, misery, anxiety, hurry, criticism, selfishness, fickleness, harshness, and a lack of self-control. Like, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not what it says, but that's often what our lives begin to look like as we get more and more into all these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anxiety is not on the list. Peace is, though. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. That's a real difference. Now, Everyone knows anxiety. I don't have to tell you anxiety is bad, that it's not a good thing. But why does it feel like, you know, we all know this, but we can't control it? It, just, it seems like, well, that's just a thing that, that happens to me. It's a thing I feel. I don't want anxiety. It just kind of happens to me. Doesn't it? There's a, a, a description of anxiety. Anonymous writer said, anxiety is like perpetually hearing the boss or enemy music, but never seeing the threat. It's like you watch the movie, and it's like, dun, 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 and you know something's coming in the movie, something's coming, something's coming, dun, 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 and the, the boss and the bad music, dun, 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 and then like, that's what anxiety is. It's just, you just hear this music and nothing ever happens. You're just always hearing this music in your life. <laughs> I experienced this last week. I, I, brought Gabe to the airport on Friday morning at, I had weed to get up at like 3.30. He was going to Calgary for the weekend 
for a soccer thing. And, and so I, was, I, I thought I was good. You know, I was, you know he's, he's confident. He was excited. And, and so I brought him to the airport, and I left him with the group. And then I got in the car, and as I was driving, I started feeling anxious. Like, I left him. I left him with this team. Do, do they, do, are they going to take care of him enough? And I had started having all these feelings. And I drove home, and I was thinking about him. And then later in the day, he called, and he had a down moment, and he was a bit homesick. And so, oh, no, my heart is breaking. And then a few minutes later, he texts me, oh, we're playing Uno now. It's really great. And, but I'm like, oh, no, I can't picture Uno. I can only picture you sad, sad. And like, so then the next morning, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning again. I'm waking, and I can't go back to sleep. I'm thinking about Gabe. Is he okay? I was, maybe he's awake in the night. And, and, so, and then the next morning again, I, I wake up at 4.30. I'm waking up early. I can't. It's like it just is happening to me. And then, of course, we pick Gabe up, and he's like, this was the best time of my life. Yeah, it was so fun. And I'm like, oh, what about all my worry? I was worried. Don't you know I was worried? We all know that anxiety is bad, that, you know, it feels out of control to us, harmful or paralyzing sometimes but we still seem to all have to battle it. We all wrestle these, this onslaught of what-if questions that just keep coming. Sometimes it, it feels like it's just another question and you overcome it. Well, what if this? Okay, okay. Well, what if this? Oh, and we have to overcome each one before we can move forward sometimes. That's how it feels. But worry won't help you. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you do that by worrying? Worry won't help you. It appears to be helping. We feel like we're doing something. <gasps> yeah, I need to think through all these things. But actually, it's stealing from you. This is what Corey Tenboom says. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Anxiety works counter to the Christ life, to anticipation of what God wants to do. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And Paul says in Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be anxious about anything. It almost sounds like Maybe we're a part of this somehow, like somehow there's a choice in it when they're telling us, don't do, don't, don't do that, don't let it, don't let it happen. They, well, that sounds like there's a choice, like I have a choice somehow, like my will is involved somehow in this. How can I trust Jesus and be anxious at the same time? It's like it fills the same space. You can have one or the other. You can trust Jesus or you can live in anxiety. The two things don't work together. And peace is the antidote. Peace is the antidote. There was once a very anxious man 
And he battled it so long, he just decided he was fed up and he needed to do something. He wanted to get rid of it. And so he decided he was going to, to take extreme measures and he was going to hire someone to do his worrying for him. He felt like this would be a, a good solution. And so he went out and he put out employment ads and he you know, went to the different agencies. And he finally, after quite a while, found someone who was willing to do this. And, and so they discussed you know, all the terms and stuff. And, and in the end... Uh, the agreement was that he was going to pay this worrier person $200,000 a year to take on his worries. I mean, there was a lot of them, and so, you know, it was considerable. And, and so on, on the first day of the job, though, the guy who was going to do the worrying came to his ne- new boss, and he said, you know, I'm looking around, and I'm a little bit concerned. I'm wondering, how are you going to pay me $200,000 a year? Where are you going to get that money? And the man said, well, that's your worry now. You're doing my worrying for me. I think we should all step into that. What would it be like to give your worry and anxiety to another person? Just if you could imagine taking all of the things that are so heavy on your heart or that you wrestle with or, and giving them, actually giving them to someone else. What would that be like? What would it be like to take all the things you've got and pack them into suitcases and then send them away? Or if you picture like on the computer, dragging things into the trash on that little screen is like really magical. You take things and you put it into the trash and you say, boop, empty trash, and it's gone. Where does it go? We don't know. It's just gone. What would it be like if you could take your worry and anxiety and have that happen? (laughs) If anxiety were a a poison or a, a paralytic, something that I think it, it's more like it paralyzes us than anything else. But, but if, if anxiety were that, then peace is the antidote. Peace is the, the thing that we need to counteract it. Peace is what we want, what we want more than anything, many of us. So how do we get peace? That's the question. How do we get peace? Maybe some of you are like, okay, enough about anxiety. How do I get the peace? I want that. And the truth is that peace is conditional. Peace is conditional. We'll need to take action to receive peace because peace is conditional. Listen to these verses. Psalm 34, 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Isaiah 57, 2. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. Isaiah 57, 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Psalm 85, 8, I will listen to what God, the Lord, says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Romans 14, 19, therefore let, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Or James 3.18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now you'll say to me, but I thought, I th- you keep talking about how salvation is free. It's a free gift. We can't do anything to make God love us more or less. You said that, Jonathan. You said that. And I'll say, yes, that's grace. We're talking about peace. And peace is different How we live and what we do matters to it. 
how we live and what we do matters to it. You can't ignore God's direction and then expect to live in peace. It doesn't work like that. So maybe some of you are like, okay, what do I do? Okay, so practically help me out here. What do I do? Number one, we could make a list. I mean, there's lots of things we could say. I made a list of three things. Number one, learn to follow. Learn to follow. The Bible's clear that there's a kingdom way to live and a worldly way to live. And in order to live in peace, we'll need to learn to embrace a kingdom life. What does that look like? What does that mean? How do we do family in the kingdom? How do we do finances in the kingdom? How do we do sex lives in the kingdom? How do we do relationships? How do we do all the kind of, what does that look like? There's a kingdom way. And we need to learn that way. And there's peace on that road. Living in love, learning to trust God that he will provide and transform and heal and restore and renew his creation. Us. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What things? Well, like all the things. All the things you need for life. They'll be added to you as you seek the kingdom way. So a question we could ask ourselves as we're going along in our day, in our week, is does what I'm saying and doing and thinking line up with the kingdom life? Does it line up with his word and his kingdom as he's laid out for me? And if it's not, then I realign, following in his way. Secondly, what do I do? Learn to pray. Learn to pray. Humans have burdens. You guys, we're going to feel worry and anxiety. This isn't a, a way to get out of feeling worry and anxiety. It's like, oh, that's sin. You should never feel that stuff. It's like, no, we, we have burdens. These things happen. We feel them as burdens, anxiety or worry. But then the question is, what do you do with it when you feel it rise up in you? In order to live in peace, we'll need to learn how to pray. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him. That's what it says. We come to him and we bring it and we throw it at his feet. Or Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so a question for you and for me is, as we go to prayer, does, do we feel lighter? When you go and you spend time with the Lord, when you come out of it, do you feel lighter or do you feel the same? When you go and you oh, I have all these things, and I go and I meet with the Lord, and I come out, oh, I have all these things, I would say, then we need to learn to pray because we're not casting our anxieties on him if we go out feeling just as heavy. The picture is to learn to lay them down. Third, what do we do? We learn to worship. Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, sorrow looks back, worry looks around, and faith looks up. Mostly, I think that we're anxious because we don't know how to worship. We think that worship is singing. And so we'll say, oh, did you worship? Yeah, I had some, and we picture singing. 
that's a problem because worship is not, you can worship in singing, but worship is not confined to singing. Worship is surrender. It is, it's seeing God as he is and acknowledging him. And that is transformational in your life and my life. Worship is seeing God as capable and exalted and powerful and strong and compassionate and loving and good and faithful. And in order to live in peace, we'll need to learn what it means to worship. Isaiah 26 verse 12 says, Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. That's a worship statement. You have done it, God. You're the breath in my lungs, we sang this morning. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at, at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. It's this connection with him of worship. And so a question for us would be, do I intentionally or daily lift up God, magnifying him in my eyes, in my view, with my mouth and with my heart? Do I do that? Am I purposeful about it? Not just singing, but speaking and believing it to be true. Peace is the antidote. And thirdly, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. On July 9th, uh, 1861, a guy named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was sleeping in his room, and in the next room was his dear wife, Fanny, and she was near an open window, sealing locks of her daughter's hair in a packet of uh, using hot sealing wax. And no one really knows why, um, whether it was a spark from a match or the sealing wax was the cause, but her dress caught fire. And he woke up to the sound of screaming and he ran into the room and he tried to put out the dress and he wasn't able to do it in time. And her body was badly burned and she went into a coma and then she passed away. And uh, he wasn't even able to go to the funeral because his own burns were so severe. He was in the hospital and recovering. And over the years to come, people would say that they saw the heaviness, the sadness on him, this, this loss that he experienced in his life. And in fact, one of the, the new identifying traits of Henry was a, a, a new white beard that grew because he couldn't shave his own face because of the scar tissue, the scarring on his face from the burns. This white beard now marked him. Three years Later, on Christmas Day, Henry, who was a poet, wrote these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he writes, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, it won't be enough for us just to know we need peace or to get a list of things to do. It won't be enough. I'll tell you right now that we'll need to find the source, the source of peace. Ralph Waldo Emerson also said, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. 
to which I'll disagree. I would say, you will never find lasting peace within yourself. You could search for it. You can find it. You might find a temporary peace, but you will not find a lasting peace in there. It comes from somewhere else. The source is Jesus. And so maybe you're asking, well, what does a guy who was born 2,000 years ago, lived and died, what does he have to do with peace, my peace, my lasting peace? And the answer is that uh, another guy, a prophet from 700 years before him named Isaiah wrote these words, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father, prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then 700 years after that, this baby is born, Jesus. And the angels speak or sing this announcement glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests and then when Jesus grows up to be a man he's speaking to his disciples and he says peace I leave with you in John 14 my peace I give you John 16 he says I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace those are big claims to make after Jesus died, his, his disciples ran around and they were saying in Acts 10 things like, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So what's the good news of peace? What is it that these angels and these people that Jesus seemed to know? The truth is that in a large part, we don't experience peace because we don't trust God. Because we don't trust him. A big part of our anxiety is rooted in a disconnect from God. This deep down belief that God is against us. That something will happen in your life and, you, and often we think, oh, why is this happening? And we think in some way we haven't measured up or God's unhappy and so he's doing these things to make my life miserable. We have this disconnect, this distrust of who God is. In the Bible, there are two groups described. There's uh, the Jews and the non-Jews, which is great if you were a Jew. The non-Jews were called Gentiles, and the Jewish people were described as being the in-group, and everyone else was the out-group. The Jews were the ones experiencing God's favor, and the others were under God's wrath. And there was this chosen people and then the non-chosen people. And so there was this divide between them. And if you were Jewish, that was good news. And if you were not Jewish, that would be bad news. This is what Paul writes to a group of non-Jewish people in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Isaiah says it this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Listen to the words, brought near, two made one, the barrier destroyed, one new humanity in one body reconciled. We all have access to the Father. We are healed and he himself is our peace. Maybe the, the peace we're looking for most, the thing that we, we're desperate for in our lives is not a package that we're going to receive. It's not like a gift-wrapped thing. Maybe it's a person. He himself is our peace. Do you believe that Jesus is alive and able to be your peace this morning? Because I do. I do believe that that he wants to come into your life and transform it to be your peace. What would it look like for you to trade your anxiety, your worry, however you could picture it, trade it for the presence of the living God of Jesus alive in you, bringing about that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. In conclusion, peace is the antidote to anxiety, and Jesus is our peace. Anxiety is anti-advent. We're all very familiar with it. It's a battle we face in small ways and big ways, and the Bible seems to say that we can let anxiety rule us, or we cannot let anxiety rule us. That peace is the antidote. Peace, of course, is what we want, and yet we don't always do what's needed to have peace, pursuing a kingdom life, laying down our burdens at his feet, worshiping our God and seeing him as, as he is, high and lifted up. And Jesus is our peace. The promise of peace is Jesus. Weird for a person to be peace, and yet not if he's God, not if he died to reconcile us, to destroy the barrier and to reconnect us with the Father? Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray.